I'd like to begin with a <clears throat> reading a poem of Yogananda's. It's not from Whispers, and uh, it's one we all, most of us, know. Uh, <clears throat> when I am only a dream. I come to tell you all of him and the way to encase him in your bosom and of the discipline that brings his grace. Those of you who have asked me to guide you to my beloved's presence, I warn you through my silently talking mind or speak to you through a gentle glance, a gentle significant glance, or whisper to you through my love, or loudly dissuade you when you stray away from him. But when I shall become only a memory or a mental image, or silently speaking voice, when no earthly call will ever reveal my whereabouts in unplumbed space, when no shallow entreaty or stern stentorian command will bring from me an answer, I will smile in your mind when you are right, and when you are wrong, I will weep through my eyes, dimly peering at you in the dark, and weep through your eyes perchance. And I will whisper to you through your conscience, and I will reason with you through your reason, and I will love all through your love, when you are able no longer to talk with me, read my whispers from eternity. Eternally through it, I will talk with you. Unknown, I will walk by your side and guard you with invisible arms. And as soon as you know my beloved and hear his voice in silence, you will know me again more tangibly than you knew me on this earth plane. And yet when I am only a dream to you, I will come to remind you that you too are not but a dream of my heavenly beloved. And when you know you are a dream, as I know now, we will be ever awake in him. So this topic this morning, the avatar, the incarnation, indeed it is a great mystery. I think no matter what our level of spiritual evolution or enlightenment, because we're looking at it from this world, we're looking at something that is divine, that is infinite, that is without boundary. And it's a stretch, isn't it, to know a little bit of that consciousness. But this great avatar, what brings these avatars? We have this lineage, five avatars, but there are many avatars throughout time. And what brings them back to as Swami Kriyananda would describe it, this mud ball of a planet. Why do they come back? Why would you come back? And it's this great, great love that is spoken of 
in this poem, this eternal commitment to be ever with us until we are free. I was reading recently uh, in a letter from Yogananda to Rajasi Janakananda, a direct disciple. And this was just a few years after he met Rajasi, so maybe 1938, 39, somewhere in there. And Yogananda said to Rajasi, perhaps we will come back again next time together, and in our boat we will gather up many shipwrecked souls. It was so touching and sweet. And that is their consciousness, so much love, so much love. It's, it's difficult to fully integrate. It's, it's difficult to fully understand their mission, again, because we're seeing it through matter in some relative sense. Many years ago, it was uh, 1979, uh, Nant and I were married in that year in January, And just a few days after, Swamiji had, prior to that wedding, said, Oh, Ananta, will you come with me out on tour? And a number of people from the community, many people, uh, went and gave lectures around California preparing the way for Swamiji, Swami Kriyananda, who would come after and give lectures. And the theme that year, I think, was superconscious living. Swamiji asked me if he could stay, and along with everybody else, so 12, 15, 17 people at times, at my mother's home in Pacific Palisades in Southern California. And uh, she said yes, and it was a big undertaking. I mean, she was uh, older than Swamiji at that time, and um, but she was glad to have him there. They slept in the living room on the back in the backyard. Uh, Swamiji had a bedroom, one of the bedrooms I lived in growing up. Uh, But one morning as they were getting ready for the day, uh, my mom was making breakfast, a few people were helping in the kitchen, and it was about mid-morning, and the doorbell rang, the front door, the formal door, and uh, Swamiji went there to answer it. And he was dressed in his pajamas and in a robe <laughs> with his hair, you know, falling to his shoulders. And at the door was a neighbor who kept an eye on our family as we were growing up. Single mom, <laughs> five kids. And he, you know, he just always would check in. How's everybody doing? And uh, lo and behold, there he is. <laughs> Swamiji answers the door. And I can't tell you, <laughs> you know, he was... He was a little surprised. This wasn't something he expected, and I don't know what he read into it or didn't read into it, but he certainly didn't see this person as my spiritual teacher answering the door. And I couldn't help but think of that because the world sees the world through the eyes of material consciousness. It sees what it wants to see. It sees what it expects. It certainly doesn't expect a great renowned spiritual teacher, what to speak of in Yogananda's case, a God-realized master, to be there in a human body. The human body, it, it is its nature. We think humanly. We think materially. We don't look at one another. Um, Swamiji has trained us to try to look at each other as a divine being. 
But by and large, the world does not do this. I was remembering a, a delightful account that Peggy Dietz, a direct disciple of Yogananda's, gave uh, when she first met Master. Actually, she met him at a lecture. And then uh, Yogananda asked Peggy to come to his apartment at Mount Washington, and so Peggy did. And she came over, and you know she, she was dialed in. I mean, she saw him as this very great spiritual being and this master. And, uh, but she gets in there, she sits down, and immediately on, Yogananda brings over this, uh, what we used to call scrapbooks or photo albums. And he's got all these pictures of family in India and, and so on. And so he turns to the family page and he's pointing everybody out to Peggy. And he says, he says look at this one. This is, it was Bishnu, a great yoga uh, teacher uh, in India, his brother, Bishnu. And he said, look at him. Doesn't he look like Cary Grant? And for those of you who are too young to know, a famous actor in, in those days, very famous. But Peggy was, she just couldn't figure it out. You know, she, she knew he was a master. She thought he was a master. What did, why was he at all interested in movie stars in Hollywood and Cary Grant? Well, I don't know. I guess he looks like Cary Grant. Just totally derailed her. <laughs> because in that light, he was so familiar. You know, just like one of the, you know, one of her friends or, you know, just some so strictly social meeting. But here was this consciousness of a great God-realized master, an avatar. And again, it, it seems, and I know sometimes with Swami Kriyananda, my spiritual teacher, I would just, I would see him being so human, so friendly, a divine friend. But there was this other consciousness there. If you looked into his eyes, there was an altogether different consciousness. The avatar, and again, we have these great avatars that are guiding us and blessing this work and our efforts. And they come having sought and having found. And that's very important for us to keep really at the forefront of our consciousness because however incredible or great they appear, and we can't understand them, we can't really conceive of it, and yet they're here to show us that we can also do that, that we can also become that. Yogananda said an avatar comes with a great world mission. That's a part of it, helping to move forth, uh, forward the course of evolution on a planetary level, on a human level. But he said also, and this is the most important thing for us, the avatar has come and can take with him as many souls as want to know God. So that is a very, very profound and important promise for us to keep in our consciousness, ever-present. When Yogananda, uh, he was at 
the Biltmore in Southern California. And it was very close. It was the time, days before his Mahasamadhi. And he was there in the same room that he was first in many years before, in 1925, when he came to speak in Los Angeles before he founded uh, the center there in Mount Washington. He was in the same room. And he said to a disciple there, he was sharing with the disciple, this is where I first came to start this work out here, to found this work. And he said, I looked out the window at that time, and he was giving a lecture at the Philharmonic Auditorium in Los Angeles. And he looked out the window, and from his uh, room, he could see people all the way down the city block and around the corner. Thousands of people came to hear him speak. And as he was uh, telling this disciple now many years later, he said, as I was looking at that and seeing all of those people, Babaji told me that it would be just like this. He told me all about all of this. And it's all just, it has all happened since that time, just as Babaji said. And I was considering that because the avatar comes in with a God-realized consciousness, a world mission, in a broad way and specific to each and every disciple. And he sees the whole picture. And he can look at the disciple. Master knows everything. Yogananda knows everything about each one of us. Everything. As Kriyananda said, he knows every, Master said to Swami Kriyananda, I know every thought that you are thinking. So they've got the whole picture. They see it already unfolded. But even they, even the avatar, has to fully engage and bring it forward. And that's what each one of us has to do. To his disciples, Swami Sri, Sri Yukteswar, he said, Satsanga's boat is coming. Who will go? If no one else will go, I will go. And Yukteswar was that stern master. And were you in or were you out? And with the avatar, with Yogananda, with your guru, are you in or are you out? And what are you in for? Are you in for all of it? Are you in for God? Because it takes fully engaging in what the guru, in this case what the avatar, has given us. We need to fully embrace that. As it said in the reading, if you want to grow in virtue, one needs to be inspired from within. That needs to come from inside of us. One thing to have all of these great gurus, these great avatars, but they can't and they won't do it for us. We have free will. And so it's really up to us. We have to find that inspiration within ourselves 
and want to take it forward and take it forward. When Swamiji was out on that tour, uh, and the theme was superconscious living, there was a lot of material um, that was written to support those lectures and classes and a continuation of learning for those who came and were interested and are interested. And one of the things that he wrote at that time was a vow for superconscious living. And I wanted to share this vow and read it with you. Uh, It's familiar to a great many of us. I think of it as one of the most important vows we ever take as students and disciples, because no matter what vow we're taking, if it's renunciation, if it's the sevaka order, whatever it is, if it's discipleship vow, this is fundamental to our ability to succeed, to honor those other vows. And you'll see why. You'll be reminded of why when I read it here. It says, I vow from this day forth to be true to my higher superconscious self, to be a channel of light, of blessing and love to all, to live in joy, not sorrow, in truth, not error, in victory, not failure, to blame no one during adversity but myself, and then instead of blame, to accept full responsibility with God's help for changing myself. Again, this was written by Swami Kriyananda. And this vow to take responsibility, to cooperate with the guru, with the master, with the avatar, is, as I said, supremely important to everything we do in life and to whatever vow we might take. Because unless we take that step, there's really not a whole lot that can be done. We're just going to be moved around, back and forth, up and down. But the avatar has come to gather us in his boat, and we need to step into that boat. We need to want to step into that boat. Yes, it's all a dream. It's all a dream. You know, the avatars say that, the great ones say that, who have sought and found. It's all a dream. Its only purpose is to merge with God. And yet, dream that it is, we can't just sit back idle and watch the movie and let it unfold because it won't realize it's ending. It won't realize it's ending until we step in that boat and fully engage. When in this reading it says, when virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. That is not just outside of ourself. Yes, that's what's going on in the world little by little, and these avatars help to facilitate that, help us to remind us what it's all about. 
but that's also happening within each one of us. We have that seed of divine origin that is referred to inside each one of us. We have that consciousness of avatar within each one of us. And it's ours to draw on that and employ that. In the Bible, it says, Jesus says, He that overcometh, I will have sit alongside me on my throne in heaven, just as I, when I overcameth, the heavenly Father had me sit at his side. And so you see, they are distinct from us in the sense of God realized at this point, and we're not yet there, but they're saying it's exactly the same for each one of us, that process and that destiny. Christ said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be that because you are that and you can realize that. So again, as we engage in this dream that life is, we engage in that process of becoming free, as did our guru, as did these great avatars of the world. We are like them and can be like them in consciousness. It's our destiny.